This message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. And uh, man, I'm really, uh, really pumped for this morning. Um, because we get to uh, hear from from one of my uh, one of my dear friends, and uh, a little little bit into um, our church and who we are is uh, when we are given this building and we've continued to see God um, grow this community. A lot of people are like, "Well, you know, you need to be worried about space, and you're gonna have to move." And and, and I'm not so sure about that. And and the reason is. I don't think the goal of Light Church is to to grow um, just some big institution here. Our goal is to grow the kingdom of God, and one of the best ways we can do that is to continue to raise up leaders, send out leaders. Our hope is to plant churches one day. And so uh, this summer, um, and really this coming year, we're going to be starting to invest and raise into young leaders. Um, one of the ways we're going to do that is we have a new intern this summer with us, and he's in the back. Josh, can you, can you wave your hand for us? Josh, and then also Amber, um, and, and Josh and Amber are going to be around this summer, and they are going into their final year at Life Pacific College, um, where they have been, and Josh is studying transformational ministry, and both of them are just so incredible and dear to our family. And another way that we get to do that is we get to invite um, young voices on this, uh, on this stage to speak to our hearts. And, uh, and so this morning, we, there's been an, a phenomenal family who's walked with us, Chris and Katie, um, and their beautiful new daughter, Tally, who've been very uh, kind of this integral part of starting Light Church. And so we're really glad that they, uh, I mean, they've done so much behind the scenes. And um, Chris and Katie were youth pastors for couple of years, um, two or three years you know, up in Washington and in LA, and they've been down with us the past almost year now. And so uh, when, we're, um, when we knew this Sunday um, that we would need a guest speaker, I was like, man, I would love to get to hear uh, from Chris. And so can you, we're going to uh, watch a little intro video of our series, and then I'm going to invite Chris to come on up. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. My name is Chris. I am so, so honored to be here with you guys this morning. If it's your first time, I just want to say cheers. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Um, It's a privilege to have you guys with us. Um, Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want to give honor where honors due. Our culture is not very uh, fond of uh, honoring people, but I just want to acknowledge our awesome pastors. Can we get up for Benji and Jen? They are amazing, they're great. They are, they're really, they're a huge blessing in my life, and, um, and I, don't, I don't know if you guys know this, I think I've shared it with you a little bit, but Jen, I haven't shared it with you. Um, you guys, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm not going to look at you because I'm kind of a crier, I'm a crier, so I don't want to look at you guys, and I'm long-winded, so I'll make this short, but, um, but my perspective of, of being pastored is shifting because of you guys. Um, like Benji said, I, I've been working at churches before, and church became a job to me, and, 
and um, the local church and serving in ministry has become a job. But because of you guys, my my heart for being um, pastored is being not only restored, but it's being renewed. And so I thank you for pastoring me and, and, and my little family and in and this church and in this city. So thank you guys so much. You guys are a huge blessing to my life. So thank you guys. Um, yeah. Woo. You guys like who you're sitting next to? You guys like who you're sitting next to? I hope so, because we got like 45 more minutes, so I really hope you like them. I really, really hope you do. Um, how good was worship this morning? I'm an interactive kind of guy. You guys like worship? I could have just, just been uh, singing this whole time. Uh, I love being in the presence of God. Um, I love uh, singing his praise. I had a friend years ago. I didn't grow up in the church, so I may not look church. I may not sound church. I may not act church. Um, I, I said yes to Jesus uh, my senior year of high school, 2010. Um, that dates me quite a bit. Um, but yeah, uh, I, had, I had a few friends. Once I said yes to Jesus, <laughs> the older people in the room are like, what the? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but uh, I had a friend when I said yes to Jesus, and he was like, I just don't understand worship. He's like, I just don't get it. It's, it's kind of weird. And I was like, yeah, but have you, have you seen yourself? Like the, 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 the clubs you go to, the line dance things you participate in, you're just as weird. But in all seriousness, I was teasing him because I have that relationship with him. And, and, uh, and I just explained worship we don't sing these songs because lyrics are on the screen, and I don't lift my hands because the worship leader tells me to. It's a desperation thing. It's a desperation thing. And, and I realized the more and more I became desperate for Jesus, the less and less I cared what people thought about me, the less I cared what people thought about me. So, so um, if you're in this room today and worship is kind of uncomfortable, um, I just challenge you to just kind of let go for a second. Just let go and just allow Jesus to take the wheel. Um, but we're, we've been in a, a collection of messages, sermons, talks, whatever you want to call it, um, entitled Heart Renovation. And the idea behind this, this series is, is to, um, to, to practice the ways of Jesus and to, and to learn the ways of Jesus. And, and I love what Pastor Benji said last week. He said, um, by the way, I may do something weird with my hands because I normally have a handheld, so I don't know what to do with the other hand. So I just, I may just keep, I may one pocket it. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, that's the idea of the message. And, and last week, Benji said, he said that following Jesus, becoming like Jesus is, is not so much a formula or an equation, but, it, but it's sometimes something that is unplanned. It's something, something that could be unplanned, can be inconvenient. It, it could be unknown. It's, it, it's, it's following the Holy Spirit. And he preached a message last week called Walking with the Spirit or Walk with the Spirit. And, and we're talking about how true change happens. And, and we, we learned last week that true change doesn't start with us. It starts with the Holy Spirit's influence in and through our lives. All we have to do is we have to surrender. We have to, we have to be um, sensitive. In other words, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit, and, and we have to be uh, steadfast. We have to continue to listen to the Holy Spirit. And that, for me, has been in my nine years, is it 2018, 19? I don't, I don't know. In two, yeah, is it really? What, what is it? 19? Gosh. Uh, and for the past nine years, that's been very difficult for me, being steadfast, because my flesh creeps in all the time, and it's just, it, it, I'm just so gracious that God is gentle with me. Whenever I have shortcomings or um, whenever I'm, I'm falling into temptations, he, he's so, so gentle with me. But this morning, 
Um, I have the privilege of uh, continuing the series, and we're in this section about becoming like Jesus. So if you're taking notes, my youth pastor used to say note takers are history makers. He used to say that it's better to have a short pencil than a long memory. You're going to forget. So if you have a phone, a pencil, a pen, whatever, take notes. I'm a huge believer in note takers. But if you're taking notes, the title of the message is The Divine Interruption. The Divine Interruption. And like Benji said, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to say, following Jesus isn't, isn't a formula. It isn't an equation. Sometimes it's about allowing the unplanned, the, the, uh, the inconvenienced, the, the transitional moments, and even the interruptions. Following Jesus is sometimes about that. And tonight, we're going to be focusing on a text where Jesus was significantly interrupted. But I want to make something clear. This story that we're going to read is not the first time Jesus was ever interrupted. The, the first time that Jesus was interrupted was actually a miracle moment. It was at a wedding. Anybody have been to a wedding and they're like, hey, like you love weddings. I'm a huge fan of weddings. My wedding was my favorite, favorite moment. Some of my two favorite people are going to be getting married soon. I love Love, love, love weddings. I love celebrating. I'm a crier. I cry so, so much in weddings. It reminds me of my own, my, my, my wedding. But it was, it was a moment where Jesus turned water into wine. There's a moment where Jesus turned water into wine. But it's interesting because this interruption happened because his mother brought it before him. His mom interrupted him. And, and uh, Jesus' interruptions were so often uh, that even his interruptions were interrupted. That's kind of weird. His interruptions were interrupted. There was this one time where Jesus got off of the boat and there was this rich man who had a very sick, sick daughter. And he's like, Jesus, please, son of God, Messiah, I know you are a healer. Please heal my daughter. So Jesus obviously said, yes, I, I will follow you to, to your daughter. And as he's going, obviously a crowd follows. Jesus and his disciples, they did it big. They did it really, really big. They drew crowds. And they're going. And in this moment, uh, there was a woman who touched his cloak. There was a woman who touched his cloak, and, and Scripture says that this woman was bleeding for 12 years, and in those 12 years, she was ostracized for most of them. And she, she touched Jesus' cloak because she thought, with just one touch of Jesus, I'll be healed. With just one touch of Jesus, I'll be healed. And, and she touched him, and Jesus recognized her faith, and, and because of her faith, he healed her. Because of her faith, he healed her, and and. I want to encourage you guys this morning, welcoming interruption into your life is a practice that Jesus did actively. And this morning, Jesus wants to teach us something beautiful about interruption. So we have a lot of ground to cover. If you have a Bible, uh, a cellular device, open up to John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, well... Stay at a hotel. Um, they have the little, you know, the little side tables. I'm not encouraging you to steal. I'm, I'm sorry, Benji. Um, but in all honesty, we'll have it up on the Sky Bibles if you guys don't have um, a Bible. But we're going to start off at verse 1. We're going to start off at verse 1. Let me just get there. Um, and I'm going to pause um, while, I'm, while I'm reading the text, so I hope it doesn't distract you. But I think there's some important content that we need to identify before we um, just read this text, we, before we just breeze past it. So verse 1, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. 
Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So first pause. This is huge. This is huge. Uh, the, the Sitting down in Jesus' time when you're teaching is a posture of authority. It's a posture of authority. So when Jesus was sitting down before a crowd, before a group of people, Jesus is taking a posture of authority. Verse three says, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Second pause. So the language here, we could just easily blow right past this. Oh, this woman was brought to Jesus, caught in adultery. But this woman, um, she, her life was this. This was her life, and, and the language here is very intense. It's very gory. It's, it's nasty in the ancient language. It, it, it's really, really gross. They were in the middle of the act. Like, they were there. They were present, and it continues and says, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman had been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And, and, and we're going to notice something happened three times. Something happened three times. And whenever there's repetition in the Bible, you guys have probably heard this before. I've heard Benji say this. But whenever you see repetition in the Bible, it's essentially the, the, the author saying, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Like, what I'm about to say right now is very, very important. So uh, I'm going to give you a little sidebar, a little, a little hint on what what the author is trying to get us to pay attention to, and it's Jesus's posture. So look at what Jesus does. It says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up, so he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the oldest one, and Jesus was left alone with this woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And I love what Jesus says. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Go on from now and sin no more. Let's pray. Jesus. Thank you so much for who you are, God. We love you. We praise you in this place, God. We want to glean from you this morning. We don't want this just to be another day. We don't want this to be just another service. We don't want to play church games this morning, Jesus. We want to, we want to learn how to be like you, and we just want to, we want to be with you today, Jesus. We love you and praise you. I pray for the Los Angeles Lakers as they're searching for a max deal free agent. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. That was good. I think, I think we're good to go. We should be dismissed. That was, that was very, very important. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Anybody got pet peeves? Anybody got pet peeves? Raise your hand if you got pet peeves. Don't make me feel like the worst person in the room. We all have pet peeves. I'm going to tell you guys a few of mine. I hope that's okay. Um, so my first pet peeve, well, a little sidebar. If I say something that you guys do, I probably have noticed. <laughs> Just saying, I probably have noticed. So my first pet peeve is, 
is uh, not, Jen's like, what are Chris's pet peeves? Um, so uh, first pet peeve is, is not necessarily slow walkers, but unaware walkers. Have you guys ever been behind an unaware walker? Anybody? It's like, I get it. You guys are so, so like enjoying the, the, the scenery or that lovely text message that you're, that you're um, sending to your spouse or your, you know, soon to be spouse, you know, whatever it is. It's like, I get it. I get it. But it's like around me, just like pull to the side and text away and let me get to my destination. I have important places to go. That's my first pet peeve. And second one, and this one is not, it doesn't happen very often, but when it happens, it's extremely frustrating um, because look at me. But um, when people that are in extremely good shape, like really, really good shape, and they're like, they're like, man, I've just been on this extreme diet while, like, if you, you could tell me that whenever you want, but while I'm stuffing my, my face with a pink sprinkled cake donut, it's like, bro, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know exactly what you're doing. It's, it's accomplishing nothing except for making me feel awful about myself. Just stop. Just stop. And while we're on the same tangent of food, has, oh, I don't like this one. This is what, this has to be top two or three. When I order something from a restaurant and someone is like, ooh, you like that? Like, no, I just ordered this just because I wanted to try something new. There are those weird people out there that do that. I know who you are. Um, but, like, when I order something at a restaurant and someone is like, you like that? Like, ew. Like, yeah, I really do like it. That, that has to be top two, top three. But my most, uh, my most annoying, uh, the most annoying pet peeve in my perspective is um, being interrupted. Just being interrupted. I can't stand being interrupted. And don't be that wise guy and interrupt me right now. Like, haha, it's really, really funny that you decide to use a joke on me. It's actually kind of sadistic that you would use a preacher's joke on, you know, as he's preaching. But um, I don't like being interrupted. And, and, I, and stats say that uh, you get interrupted seven times if you're, in, if you're engaged in a conversation, like, you, you can't get interrupted if you're not saying anything. But if you're engaged in a conversation, um, statistics show that you get interrupted seven times each minute. Seven times each minute. And I never, I never really bought it. I didn't really buy it. I didn't believe it. But then I had a child. And friends, it's true. Every seven minutes, uh, my life has changed for the better. But I don't think I've said a full sentence in six months. Um, because, you know, the moment my daughter Catalina was born, I feel like it was the moment that the importance of what I had to say began to diminish. Like, no one cared what Chris said anymore. My wife, my family, my daughter, no one cares what Chris has to say because everything else is so much more important than what Chris has to say. Um, and I used to get really emotional about it. Like, I'm, a, I'm an emotional guy. Um, I used to get really emotional, kind of frustrated and kind of like, uh, my feelings would be hurt, and, and I would be that petty guy that, like, would say something, get interrupted, and not bring it up to see if you remembered what I was talking about, and if you didn't, I was, it was like a test. I wanted to see if you guys remembered what I was talking about, and, and Jesus is just so funny, right? He, uh, I used to work at church, at churches, and I, I got paid to prepare for our youth services, so it was really easy to find time to write a sermon, but now I don't work at a church, and I have a 40-hour-a-week, Monday-through-Friday job like a lot of you guys do, and, and it's hard to find time to prepare for a message, and, and I thought to myself, I need some alone time. I need some quiet time. Um, 
Saturday, yesterday happened, and, and I told myself, I need to wake up super early in the morning because I want time to prepare for this moment. I want to pray over my message, and I woke up at 4.30. I woke up at 4.30, and I normally don't do that, um, but I woke up at 4.30, and I'm, I'm typing away. I'm reading. I'm praying, and 15 minutes later, 4.45 in the morning, for the first time in about four months, my daughter decides she's not tired. Now, parents in the room probably like, your daughter doesn't wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And yeah, she loves me, I guess. But she woke up at 4.30 in the morning and decided that she was no longer tired. So the very thing I attempted to avoid happened. Now you ask me, Chris, 12 minutes into this whole thing, what does this have to do with the Bible? I have no idea. I just wanted to tell you guys. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I bring this up for the purpose on shedding light on um, how frequent interruptions happen. And in our life, we often see them as annoying, frustrating, bothersome, counterproductive, rather than seeing them as um, possible opportunities, impossible um, divine opportunities at that. In this story, in John chapter 8, we see Jesus is in the middle of a tender moment. It's a teaching moment, right? He's, he's, he's standing up, and he's sitting down, I'm sorry, and, and, and there's these people sitting down before him, and, and he's teaching, and he, people are ready to receive from Jesus, and, and he, he's, he's in this beautiful moment, and it's dramatically interrupted. He's dramatically interrupted, and, and one scholar writes about this moment saying that Jesus was shocked. Imagine that. God in flesh, shocked, Jesus was shocked here. It's, he's, he's teaching people about the truth and these holy men, right? These scribes and Pharisees, for those that don't understand biblical language or don't know what scribes and Pharisees are, they're essentially religious men who know the Bible, five, first five books of the Bible specifically, very, very well. And they bring this woman who's probably naked, she, naked, in to a Sunday service, if you will, they bring this woman to a Sunday service. It was shocking. It was ugly. It was inappropriate. It wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. And sometimes, whenever I read this story, sometimes I think, what was Jesus teaching on before he got interrupted? Like, what was he teaching on? It's probably something really beautiful, a parable. He always taught in parables. What was Jesus teaching on? And it's something we will never know because what interrupted him was so much more important to Jesus. So, I believe um, there are three things that Jesus wants to learn about when it comes to this story of interruption. And the first thing is pace and posture. If you're taking notes, pace and posture. First thing I noticed the moment that the scribes and Pharisees hit the scene is, is the different paces that Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes are operating through. The, the, the scribes and Pharisees are, they're, they're quick, swift movements, right? They, 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 they see this woman in the middle of the act of adultery, right? And, and, they, and they take him, take, take, take him, take her to Jesus, right? They, they take her, they question Jesus. They, 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 they want to execute and stone this woman. They're ready to go, right? They're ready to go. They're quickly moving. And then we see Jesus woke up early in the morning, sat down with a crowd to teach them, probably with a cup of coffee in his hand because Jesus is cool, <laughs> gets interrupted, says nothing, says absolutely nothing. And he doesn't only stay silent, 
he allows his teaching to get interrupted instead of acknowledging these holy men and, and then breezing past it. Have we ever done that before? You get interrupted and you don't ignore the interruption, but you, you acknowledge it really quick and then you go back to what you were talking about because what you have to say is so important, right? We do that. I do that all the time. But no, Jesus didn't only acknowledge these men really quickly and allow them to interrupt him. He, he continues the scene, right? He, he stands up from this seated position of authority that he rightfully deserves. And he stoops down, not once, but twice, and takes this posture of humility. He takes this posture of humility. He, he, he rightfully deserved to be the son of God, but he takes this position that this woman had upon her. She, 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 was, she was embarrassed and she was, she was probably dragged before Jesus by these men and, 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 and Jesus stoops down to her level. He doesn't get mad, scream, yell at this woman or the accusers, but he stoops down, he pauses, and Jesus slows down the scene with the intention of caring for this woman, easing her embarrassment, and loving on her. And Jesus, doing this, clearly annoyed the scribes and Pharisees because they, the scripture says they continued to ask, what, Jesus, what are we gonna do with this woman? What are we gonna do? You see that she broke the Mosaic law. It says to do this. What are we gonna do? They continued to ask, kind of like parents. I've never experienced this yet because my daughter barely says anything. She's six months old. And like, dad, dad, mom, mom, are we there yet? Can I have more? They, like, these men were pestering Jesus, but he says nothing. He kneels. And what this teaches me about Jesus, what I hope this teaches us is that Jesus is slow to speak. Jesus is quick to listen. Jesus is slow to anger. So I want to ask you guys a question this morning. Are you slow to speak? Are you quick to listen and understanding? Are you slow to anger? So many times I'm not. So many times I'm not. Which leads me to my next point, and that is the right and wrong way of being righteous. The right and wrong way of being righteous. These scribes and Pharisees were quoting Deuteronomy, and they were doing it accurately. They were doing it accurately. And, and this interaction that Jesus has with this, with this uh, woman, these holy men, Jesus never once says, you are wrong. You're wrong. You're absolutely incorrect. Your statement is false. He never once says that because these guys have done their homework. But it's so interesting to me that you could be right according to the letter of the law, but so wrong according to the spirit of the law. You could be right according to the letter of the law and wrong according to the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is love. It's love, and, and these men are using the letter to, to execute this woman in front of people without covering, and Jesus says nothing because they are right, but they are so, so wrong. These men were using this woman as bait to manipulate Jesus, and, and she's a human being, all because of what? To trap Jesus, to trap him, to, to, to get him, to, to, to get him to be in a lose-lose situation. If, if Jesus were to say, let her go, then he breaks the Mosaic law. If he says, execute her, he, he comes across as harsh and breaks the Roman law. 
But don't you love Jesus? Has the best clapbacks? I believe if Jesus walked the face of this earth today, 2019, and he had an Instagram or a, or a Twitter account, his handle would be the real Jesus Christ or something like that, or like risen king in the flesh. I don't know, something like that. I believe Jesus would have the best clapbacks. On social media, people use Twitter fingers, and they, and, and, and they comment behind someone's back and whatnot, but Jesus would have the best clapbacks, and, and, and I believe that because what he does here, Jesus didn't get intimidated by these religious leaders. Jesus didn't get tied up with his words to potentially get him in trouble. He says, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. In other words, Jesus is saying, we may execute this woman, but in order to do it, we need to do it right. So whoever was there in the midst identify yourself. Whoever brought this woman's humiliation upon herself, identify yourself and start the execution. And then you just stood back and just waited for someone. And then these men are like, go, 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 like get out of here, get out of here. Because they did something here that I'll get to in just a moment. Jesus made it plain. Whoever is the witness, whoever is the one who has the right to cast the first stone, he is as guilty as this woman taken in adultery because of their hypocrisy. These Jewish leaders decided to be so specific by saying in the act. They decided to be so specific by saying in the very act and they acknowledged that they knew who the male participant was. Which means that they broke Leviticus 20 verse 10 and Deuteronomy 22, 22 where it says that both the adulteress and the adulterer are subjected to the same penalty. So Jesus is then saying, where is this man? Where is this man? That, that was his point, and before we go any further, we need to, we need to identify two things, two things, and, and the first thing is if you're in this place today and you've never been to church or you've, you've, uh, you've never read your Bible or you're very limited in whatever you know about God, I've been there before, you may be asking, did Jesus really permit people to, to be stoned? Did Jesus really say that it's okay to execute people? And if so, second question, why did Jesus not do that to this woman? Is he sweeping it under the rug? Is, is Jesus really God or is he just a nice guy? But in order to understand the significance here, we need to, we need to identify two things. And the first thing is when Jesus said in a previous text, we didn't read it today, but when Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, what that means to us is we need to interpret the scriptures of the Old Testament, the law. We need to interpret it through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of Jesus. When Jesus hit the scene, the law did not end. When Jesus hit the scene, Jesus was the law personified. Jesus, he is what we need to look to when we read Old Testament passages. And the second thing is the reason why Jesus was able to say, neither do I condemn you, is because in that moment, he isn't sweeping this woman's error, wrong, and sin under the rug. He's not sweeping it under the rug, but he's actually saving it. He's saving it. Jesus is postponing the very thing this woman deserved in doing what you ask. He's putting it on himself. Jesus, a few days later, after this whole encounter, would be murdered on a tree with her shame, with her humiliation, with her penalties, her sins. And oh, may I add, he was naked and fully exposed like this woman. Jesus 
literally took on everything this woman experienced and everything she should have experienced and put it on himself. And the same goes for me. And the same goes for you. The things that we deserve, Jesus takes on and puts it on himself. Jesus wasn't a nice guy. Jesus was a righteous guy in the right way, in the right way. Jesus didn't ignore this woman's sins. He absorbed them and put them on himself. So everything you may think that is harsh about the law, Jesus can still hold to is true, but he puts it on himself, which leads me to the last thing I wanna say, and that is free from condemnation. I think condemnation has a whole lot more to do with our lifestyle than we're willing to admit. You see, because I feel perpetually exposed, because I feel guilty for my error, wrong, and sin, I now find someone who I perceive is worse than me, and I will judge them privately, publicly, internally, maybe even on social media, because it makes me feel better, and oh, don't you love when the keyboard comes to help me out? I feel like the Holy Spirit really, really shows up when the keyboardist comes up. Makes me sound so much better than I really am. These men with rocks in their hands were so, so burdened with condemnation. And Jesus saying, whoever's without, oh, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And now he's not just alluding to general sin. He's, Jesus, what he's doing here is, according to the law, what it says in Deuteronomy, that one cannot perform an execution if they struggle with that same sin. So he's saying you have to be sinless in a specific area of your life in order to proceed with the very execution that you're attempting to proceed with. So suddenly we discover what's on these guys' minds. Furthermore, how did they find this woman? How did they know she was in the act? Did they set it up? Was it one of their own? Did they secretly struggle with their morality? Did they enjoy walking in, seeing a woman in the act? They dropped their stone because they were living in a state of being conscious of their sin. And one dead giveaway of us living in condemnation is we try to find people that are worse than us in our perspective and judge them. But the beautiful thing about Jesus, when condemnation comes my way, I wanna encourage you when condemnation comes your way is that we shouldn't be listening or looking at the words of these people, but look at the heart of Jesus. He says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Let that sink in your heart and your soul for a second. Neither do I condemn you. I love this. This woman was no five minutes removed from a sinful act. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. I don't know if you guys have been in church for a while, but there are church nights called testimony nights and you always have, you know, Johnny or Joey or whoever walk up on the stage and say, Jesus freed me from, you know, blank sin in the 80s. God is so good. You never hear Jimmy or Johnny come up and say, I was addicted to this yesterday and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I am free. 
Pastor Benji would be like, get off of the stage, Johnny. Like, no one would, no one does that now. But this woman was no five minutes removed. This woman experienced tangible, physical gospel so that you and I could have a portrait of what Jesus does. We've talked a lot about these Pharisees and scribes that if we're being honest, we can identify ourselves with, and I can too. We've talked a lot about Jesus and what he did and how he, he positioned himself. He got down, he stooped down in a posture of humility to identify with, care for, and love this woman. But one person we identified but we didn't really address very much was this woman. Some of you may identify with this woman. Same sin, different sin, whatever it is. Some of you may. And you may feel like this is your first time at church, second time, you're not familiar with church. And, and you may feel like you're, you're interrupting what God has in this place. You, you may feel like you're a huge disruption to God's heart, God's will, to which I hope this story shows you that you're not. You are not. You see, some people in this room may feel like a complete interruption to God, may feel like a distraction, a disruption to God. And you may feel like you're interrupting his agenda. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is the moment that you feel interrupted is the moment that you become the agenda. The moment that you feel like you're the interruption is the moment you become the agenda. And the reason why he bends down and stoops to your level when you feel like you are the interruption is because he wants to identify with, care for, and love you. Simply put, you are Jesus's agenda. You are Jesus's agenda. You interrupting his current schedule, if you will, brings so much life and so many miracles. Just imagine if we did I'm sorry, just imagine if Jesus did what you and I do on a Monday morning. You say, I'm gonna start reading my Bible and then you push the snooze button, you ignore that bad boy every Monday morning. Just imagine if Jesus did that. Just imagine if Jesus did what we do on a Thursday afternoon when we get home from work and we're tired, but we say we're gonna do this and we just, we kind of ignore what we said we were gonna do, what Jesus convicted us to do. Imagine if Jesus would have done that in this moment and just breeze right past it as if it was insignificant. These holy hypocrites would have gotten away with something so unjust. This woman may have been executed and not received a second chance at new life in Christ. Jesus welcomes interruptions. Do you? Do I? I wanna share one story and then we're gonna take communion because I believe communion doesn't only have to be a thing where we, where we repent for our sins and we take communion, but it could be a reflective thing. It could be a reshifting thing. We could reshift our priorities through communion, but I'm gonna share one story and then we're gonna take communion. But about four years ago, um, 
I used to live in Los Angeles, and four years ago, we were driving, it was our day off at church, and we're driving from a restaurant back home, and we're driving on the five freeway, and we go through these three tunnels. In Los Angeles, there's these three consecutive tunnels that you drive through, and, and we're all in one car. It's, it's uh, four staff members and myself at, from our church, and we're driving, and three cars ahead of us, there's a, there's a Prius, and uh, there's three lanes, and to the, in the first lane, there's a, there's a Suburban, this black Suburban, and we're driving, minding our own business, and this black Suburban merges into merges through both lanes and T-bones this Prius, bounces off the wall, and hits a motorcyclist, T-bones a motorcyclist on the other wall. So homegirl did a zigzag on the freeway. And the moment that this happened, I was like, whoa, what do we do? We were kind of in shock, and two thoughts went through my head, keep driving, truthfully, or stop. And I wish I could take the credit for why we stopped. But my buddy, Anthony, he told us to stop. And him and another friend ran to the motorcyclist. And my girlfriend at the time, my wife now and I and another friend walked over to the woman that got hit in the Prius. And we prayed with this woman. And we invited her to our church. And we exchanged numbers. And that was, that was it. And, you know, that was four years ago. I was struggling to find a story to share with you guys today. And I kid you not, the most mind-blowing thing happened to me. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I get a phone call from a 720 number, and I can't make this up. It was a Denver, Colorado number. And I answered because I, because I, have, I have my own business, and, and I didn't know if it was a client or not. So I answered the phone. And it was this lady, and she said, hey, my name is so-and-so. I don't know if you remember me. But... I got in a really bad accident a handful of years ago and you prayed for me and you, and you invited me to your church and, and, and I didn't go, but I, just, I don't have much time right now, but I just want to say thank you because now I go to church and, and now I, I love Jesus and I'm not saying that God allows bad things to happen to good people. I'm not getting into that theological debate right now. It's not the right sermon for that. But God can make something beautiful come out of any moment. And this horrible, horrible atrocity that happened, a new life was birthed. This woman had a future, a hope, and a purpose. And that's because God is good, one. And two, he interrupted our schedule. So if I could welcome you guys, we have communion in the back and in the front. If you guys can come up and um, take communion, we're gonna, we're gonna reshift our hearts this morning and allow ourselves to practice what Jesus practiced, and that's interruption. So I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna... We're gonna um, Grab, actually, could we grab communion now and then I'll pray afterwards. Let's, let's do that, guys. This message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com.